The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, today, you guys, we are in Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is where we're going to be. And um, today, we are going to learn and look at prayer, specifically a prayer of a father for his son. Um, as I'm doing that, is there an amp I needed to get or no? Is it the bass amp? I'm going to do my move, you guys. This is my move. This is how you terrify musicians. You tell the musicians, I am going to push buttons, and I'm going to twist knobs. Oh, never mind. It's off. It's off. But did you see the fear in their eyes? And it's not, that's not even his instrument. But musicians, they have this bond of brother and sisterhood. It's like, I'm going to poke and turn dials. And, uh, and you don't want me doing that. I tried to. I got this new mic thing, and I tried to EQ it myself. We had to bring in help this morning just to get me sounding not like a tin man. Um, Psalm 72, it's not going to be on the, the board today because I had a long night and didn't get here early enough to do that. So that's my fault. But Psalm 72, a prayer of a father for a son, specifically a prayer of David for Solomon. Solomon who wrote the Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs, and a handful of the Psalms. Solomon who um, had hundreds and hundreds of relationships, wives, and uh, also hundreds of concubines on top of wives. This was David's prayer for Solomon. Solomon, who would go on to become a, a player. Solomon, who would go on to party harder than anyone has ever partied. Solomon, who would go on to have more things than anyone could imagine things could be had. This is the prayer. So we're going to read, pray, jump into the text. I'm going to read a lot today. Um, and I want us to look at something right from the get-go. In the Bible, in the Psalms, there it's poetry. Now, it may not be poetry like you're used to poetry. It's not like Jack and Joe went up the hill. This poetry is put in stanzas, so depending, if you're using a fake Bible, you may not have this, depending on the version you're looking at, um, but if you look at, even on the, on the, ES, on the uh, Bibles on here, there will be breaks. So there's six sections of this psalm, and that's very, very important for us to know later, that there are six sections. So I'm going to read the first two right now. Psalm 72, verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of, of may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. This is a great prayer for a son so far. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. This starts out as a good prayer, father to son prayer. It is a good thing to pray for our children, whether they're grown or not. At the time David was praying this, Solomon was probably somewhere between 15 and 30. So anywhere from a young man to a grown man, yet this is David's prayer that he wants to pass on. Now, if you're not a parent here, this psalm still matters to you. Otherwise, God would not have hit the print screen button after David wrote it, okay? God wants this in the Bible for us to learn today. Now, Solomon. Solomon, this prayer that's from David, a father's heart for his son, says amazing things. May he judge people with righteousness, which Solomon did some of that. May he defend the cause of the poor people. Solomon did some of that. Give deliverance to the children of the needy. Solomon did some of that. 
But then he goes on and says in verse 8, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the king of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Solomon had some of that for some of the time. So we're going to pray and let's see what God unpacks for us this morning. Father, it is good that we are here to hear your word. I pray that your word would not just fill our minds with more knowledge, but that it would also compel our hearts to greater passion, that it would also stir our souls to live for you with greater faithfulness. Father, I pray that your word would pierce through hard hearts this morning, including mine. I pray that your word would open blind eyes and reveal blind spots, including mine. We are your kids. You love us. Please bring us into your family with any means necessary today through tender words or a cracking discipline. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Solomon, this prayer, this prayer is David saying, I want my son to be great. I want his reign to go from river to the seas. I want people to come and bow down before him. Now this sounds like someone we know. Starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus. Jesus. It sounds like it's written about Jesus, but this is not. This is a prayer of David to Solomon. But David is doing something very, very poetic in this psalm. Throughout the Bible, there are numbers that are important. Does anyone have any numbers that are important that you know off the top of your head? Seven is a big one, right? Like God created the world, six days, Adam and Eve are all there. Seventh day he rested. Seven was the number for completion. There's also a repetition of threes in the Bible. Three is perfect. God is holy, holy, holy. He is perfectly holy. The the number six is the number for incomplete. The number six in the Bible, and and really a lot of the times that you see the number six, it's, it's a reference to incompletion. In the Psalms, like Psalm 19, or in this Psalm, Psalm 72, where there are six stanzas, or in Psalm 19, they list out six aspects of creation, six, 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 six. You've heard that number before, right? Six, six, six. Because it's the number of incompletion. And the number of the devil, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's six, six, six. Because Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, is perfectly incomplete. He is perfectly falling short, perfectly broken, perfectly lacking. This is the only thing that Satan is perfect at. Sucking. Okay? Are we getting the clue? I'm just using modern day language. It says that in the Greek and the Hebrew. Succothish. Satanish, okay? Um, I made that up. That's not true. Uh, I mean, it, never mind. Okay. Uh, so, so in this psalm, David is saying, this is my prayer for my son. These six things, these stanzas, that he would be great, that he would care for the poor and the needy, that he would have rule and reign, that people would bring him gifts, that all kings would bow down. And it sounds like, and I think David knows this, that his son will not be the perfect king that his son will not be the perfect son, that there is something coming that completes, that brings completion and wholeness to what a kingdom ought to look like. Now, for us in our lives, this is important because because I, I have this fear that as we pray, we read a prayer like this, and some of us would say, I don't, I don't pray for my kids this way. I mean, am I supposed to pray for my kid, my, my nine-year-old? God, may you make Jackson rule from the river to the sea. God, I want all of the other third graders from Valrico and from Brandon 
to lick the dust of his boots. I mean, bring that into a PTA meeting. See how favorite you are after one meeting. We don't, we don't pray for our kids this way. But David is praying for Solomon. Now, Solomon is going to be the king. So that David is praying favor. David is praying that Solomon would be a man of character. So that's the first thing we have to look at, is that when we pray for people, we are so used to praying for what is provided rather than the character of a person. We're so used to praying for the things that we care about rather than the character that is cultivated within. And we do it all the time because it's easier to do this. It's easier to say, God, I need this. Could you do this? Could you make this happen? Rather than, God, can you come in and change me? Can you go in and change my son to be like you? And notice the character. It's not David's character. Now, David was a pretty cool guy a lot of the time, but he also um, had many affairs. He also killed people. His own son tried to kill him. David wants better for his son. David wants to launch Solomon to a type of person that David could not be. And in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2 and 3, we see the transition of King David giving this power over to Solomon when David was coming to the end of his life. And David wanted to set up his son for the greatest success possible. Our prayers should be setting up our children, our spouse, our coworkers, our friends for the greatest success possible, but we must define success as the Bible defines it. I'll never forget um, the transition that happened in me, and I, I, don't, I think this is common to all parents because the parents in the last service were going like this when I said this. Um, when I was growing up, in our culture, we have the self-esteem movement. Man, that was like my generation. Generation X, we have so much self-esteem, we have to like temper it down. When me and my two brothers get together around any holiday, it is like a compare and contrast film None of you would want to see me in that state. I'm a terrible human being. Because we're like, who's the smartest? Who's the strongest? Who's the fastest? And we're all trying to vie for whatever we're the best at. By the way, I'm the best looking, smartest, and most attractive. Okay, anyway. Um, they're all here. You can judge for yourself, you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not fair. My brother's an army ranger. He's got abs like Leonidas out of 300. Okay. Um, back to the reality. Back to reality. This, this thing happened when I had a kid. As a, when I was growing up, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to reach the stars. I wanted to be amazing. I wanted to do great things, change the world. And then all of a sudden, that first kid pops out, just whoosh, and you grab it. And you hold that first baby. And, and instantly, I, I thought, I, I don't want to be the rocket ship that reaches the stars anymore. I want to figure out how I can be the best launching pad for this guy. Because I'm only going to go so high and so far. I'm already a grown-up. I already know my quirks and my, my deficiencies. But this little, this little being is, is this endless potential. Who knows what he'll be? So I started praying for the character of my kids. I didn't pray that they would be famous. I didn't pray that they would be powerful. That comes later, after character. Because we don't want to give somebody great opportunity and situation and influence if their character is rotten. We call those the rich kids of Instagram, okay? That's what that is. Just checking. Okay, that's for you teenagers. <laughs> the, what we need to do is, is cultivate a character within them. The things that I pray for Jackson most, my, and Silas and Savannah, um, I, I say, God, help them to love Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to love the Bible. Lord, help them care for the poor and help the needy. Help them love to care for others. Now, I'm still praying on their character aspects, but it becomes harder because if, as God answers my prayers, now my kids hold me accountable. It's becoming increasingly difficult to drive by people that are panhandling because my kids 
will say something, and usually the older one will say, Daddy, that person needs help. And I'll be like, I don't know. We don't know why they're there. Well, Daddy, you just said that Jesus helped all the poor people that he saw. He just went around helping people, praying for people, providing for people. I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't have any cash. Sorry, bud. Well, Daddy, don't you have one of those cards you put in the machine? Yeah, but that's inconvenient. I, I can't go back. To, it's like it's, it's going to take a lot of time. i got to go out of my way. And then he'll say something like, didn't Jesus go out of his way for you? No, he doesn't say that as a lie. But it's, he's going to one day. He's going to say that to me. I can feel it because he's snarky like his dad and smart like his mom. He's going to just whack me with it. We call that the Jesus juke where you're trying to do something normal and someone just drops a Jesus bomb on you. like, no, help, stop. He's going to do this to me because he's already... He already will remind me of the time that I passed somebody getting on the 75 out of the raceway gas station. One time, you guys, one time I said, we got to go, buddy. We're on, literally, no joke, on our way to Disneyland. On our way to the quote-unquote happiest place on earth. And I passed by somebody. And he'll never let me live that down. I don't even get gas there with him anymore. I'm like, you're in the car. We're going to the shell the other way. Because for some reason, God has chosen by his grace and mercy to answer part of my prayers to cultivate character, at least in that aspect, in him. We ought to pray to cultivate character in one another. The best thing you can do for someone is to pray that their character would be like that of Jesus. Because that's what this psalm looks like. If you didn't know, if you got rid of the introduction that says of Solomon and got rid of the last verse that says the prayers of David, the son of Jesse... If you got rid of those, you would just think this is a psalm about Jesus, a king who is perfect, a king who is just, a king whose reign never ends, a king who is blessed, a king who is served, a king who is worshipped. It sounds just like Jesus. But it's important that there's only six sections because this is an incomplete prayer. This is a prayer that David knows this will not be completed with Solomon. This is a prayer where David knows there, my son can only do so much. There is a shadow, there is a pointer that my son will point to. Just as we've talked about many, many times, Jesus is the true and better, and you can fill in the blank with Bible characters. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Adam took the fruit and disobeyed with Eve and tried to be God instead of let God be God. Jesus came to reverse that. Jesus came to be faithful when we are faithless. Jesus is the true and better Noah who came and not only saved us from a flood, Jesus saves us from the flood and tide of evil against us. In this case, Jesus is the true and better Solomon who, though Solomon was wise, Jesus executed perfect wisdom. Who, though Solomon had some good things that he gave to the people, Jesus gave his life. Solomon tried to fill his life with sex and parties. Jesus gave his life so that our eternity would be filled with the greatest pleasures and full joy. He is the true and better Solomon. And may his life be what we aim our children and our spouse toward. Now one thing that really stood out to me as I was thinking about this is that we judge people like Solomon all the time. And this is a prayer by a dad for a son when the dad was nearing the end of his life. We judge people based on what they do, and it's, it's easy. We, uh, the reason I know we do this is because we're all in a church gathering. We, in church gatherings, we are people addicted to holding stones. And if you don't know the story, Jesus is in a city, and the religious leaders bring a person who was caught in adultery, a woman, and they say, Jesus, the law says kill her, what do we do? And they all had rocks ready to kill her. And Jesus said, 
After he drew something cryptic in the sand, whoever doesn't have any sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop the rocks. And I, I always think, what was, what was it like for the first guy? I always, the first guy was probably the older guy. He's probably the guy who had lived some life because it's easier to drop a rock when you've lived some life, right? You've already done some things. You've messed up. So when Jesus says, oh, no sin, okay, I'm out. Dude, I'm out. <laughs> and then who, you, who do you have left in the very end? You have uh, the same thing as we have in modern Christianity. You've got the new converts, people who are like two years in. They're zealous as can be. They have goatees. They wear plaid shirts. We call them youth pastors. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to kill them. We're not giving this up. And then eventually they threw the rock. And, and the woman didn't even know anything. Jesus says, look around. Does anyone condemn you? She was probably terrified, petrified. Looked around, no one's there. Then neither do I. Get up, go, sin no more. If a person like Solomon came in here, would we be judging them or praying like this for them? No matter what my children do, I'm praying for their forward trajectory. I'm not praying that they will be molded in my image. That's what we are prone to do, especially not with our children so, so much, but oftentimes with our spouse. We, we view spousal disagreements. Usually they come about because we expect our spouse to look like us, which we really don't want if we're being honest with ourselves. We don't want our spouse to have all of our quirks and sinful nature. They have their own. We have our own. But we often pray that way. God, can't you just make them like this? Can't you just change this about them? Instead of praying people toward our image, Pray them toward Jesus' image. And Solomon is getting this prayer over him, and he's a rascal. If Solomon came in here today, we'd have stones. We'd have a stone in our hand ready to cast it. If We're going to modernize this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous with my picking on of people. Some, anybody famous that's in your mind that has done something that you consider atrocious, if they come in here today and sit down to worship Jesus in the front row, are we focused on Jesus and loving him and loving that person? Are we praying for that person's forward trajectory to look like Christ, be like Christ, be touched and gripped by Christ? Or are we looking at him like, they better not raise their hand during that song. Let, let me be more specific. And I'm, I'm picking on people from every political spectrum just so you guys can all be mad at me collectively. Let's say one morning Donald Trump comes and sits right there. Harvey Weinstein sits right here. And if you don't know who these people are, you don't read the news, praise God, you're a healthier human than I am. Um, and, and let's say all the other people that are coming out of the woodworks now, the sexual sinners, come sit in our chapel. And let's say on that morning, we sing, I surrender all. You know the song, I surrender all. How many of us are looking over at Trump or Justin Bieber or Harvey Weinstein? And thinking, no, you don't. We got the rock. And we just threw it. Boo! In the head. Some of you want to do that. That's not okay. I'm throwing a rock at you now. And then all of a sudden, we have a beach rock party and everyone's dying. But we do it. Solomon had this amazing prayer. David, I believe, knew what was going to happen with Solomon. I believe David already knew his character. Because at this time, Solomon is already gearing up. He's ready to be the, a young king. And David prays still with forward trajectory and hope. We do this with people we love. We do not do this with people we don't love. 
With people we don't love, we're quick to hold the stone and throw it. With people we love, we're, we're easy to have more grace and more mercy. If you look at relationships, oftentimes parents can endure many, many, many years of a child being wild and rambunctious and still just pouring out. Oftentimes in the early years of a marriage, you see husbands and wives, newlyweds, Twitter-pated with each other, all fluttery-eyed. And it's beautiful. We all love that, us people that have been married for more than a minute, because we giggle like Smithers on the inside. <laughs> Wait. You don't like her that much. Stop being such a good husband on Valentine's Day. You're making the rest of us look bad. Set the bar low, guys. Do a card year one. Flowers year two. You guys that do, like, jewelry and stuff, making it hard for the rest of us who just clean floors. But we, we get to a place where all of a sudden we start holding rocks instead of holding our hands together in prayer. Part of the reason I do the poker chips, it's my bet with God that if we can love people radically, it will change our city. It's a, it's a thing that you, I want you to hold with you. If you rage in the car, put it on your dashboard, love God, love others. If you are a terrible human being at work, put it on your keyboard, love God and love others. Instead of holding the stone, hold something that reminds you that Jesus disarms every stone thrower. I could think of prayers that I would pray for people who I deem as sinners, like Solomon. I mean, that's not the person you invite to your Monday night Bible study. You don't say, hey, we got a couple of spots in our Monday night study or Tuesday night study. I saw that new guy come in. Yeah, but did you hear about him? 700 wives. You know he's got mental issues, right? I watched Sister Wives. Dude with three, can't even keep those girls. He's going crazy. Have you guys seen that show, by the way? This is how I know polygamy is bad. I don't even need the Bible. I just watched 0.5 episodes of Sister Wives, and they do the MTV reality-style show where they're, like, eating dinner, all happy, and then it's, like, cut to the private like, confession. And one wife's like, I'm going to kill her with a pitchfork. You know, I'm like, whoa, dang, Utah's crazy. And I'm just... And then they go back together all happy. Are you going to invite that guy to your, your Bible study? Hey, I need someone to watch the kids because i got to take so-and-so here. i got to go pick up someone at the airport. Oh, let's call the church guy. You know, the guy, what, what did he do again? Had 300 concubines. Let him watch our kids. Because you know, you all are like me. Someone's watching your kids. I'm background check this fool. I'm going to check their references. We have all the background check stuff here. I'm, and this is, this is me. You want to hear how I cast a stone? Before I go trick-or-treating, this is Jesus. Your pastor meeting Jesus. We, we get sent a list of our neighborhood areas. You know, I look where all the people who have been charged with sex offense live. And then this year, I didn't do what David's doing for his son. I didn't pray for someone's forward growth. Someone in my area where I was trick-or-treating had done a crime 23 years ago. And when we got to their house, I failed. Because I had a stone in my hand. And a stone in this hand. And we call those stones different things. I've got safety, we call one of the stones. But how many of us, how many of us have held up to not our standards that we create, but the standards of the Bible, We'd all be toast. This is why we needed Jesus to come. 
the seventh stanza of the sixth stanza poem. This poem talks about a king who is perfect in worship and just and blessed. But it ends at six because David knows that his son, his biological Solomon's son, could not possibly be the perfect king. Anytime you see a sixth stanza thing within the Psalms, it's pointing toward an imperfect, not yet complete aspect of God's plan. Now we live post Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This psalm is showing us that Jesus is the true and better Solomon. This psalm is showing us a son of David, a descendant of David, who perfectly exemplified all of these things for you and for me. When we pray, we ought to pray for people's character and their situation. We ought to pray for what is coming in their life. But we are six-page human beings right now. In the seventh page, it's been written for you already if your faith is in Jesus. And it's turning slowly. When you die, the seventh page is fully complete. When Jesus rips the sky open, the seventh page of your life will be totally complete. But God is writing a poem of your life. Even in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says God created you to do good works in Christ Jesus. And the word in that verse is God created you as his poema in the Greek, which is poem. He's writing the poem of your life. Now, a lot of us are imperfect, incomplete. But if all we do is focus on the incompleteness of those around us and not pointing people toward Jesus, toward the perfection that he was for us, then we're going to be a bunch of stone throwers. If all we do is look at the negative and we never look at the positive, the, the finished work of Jesus, then we'll be exhausted on the religious hamster wheel. I've been on that wheel. Some of you are on that wheel. Some of you are here this morning because you think, if I go this morning, then God will love me more Monday morning. God loved you in the midst of your hot mess last night and Friday night. If you are in Jesus, when God sees you, he sees Jesus. You can ask me how that works. It's a theology class, but it's really simple. Traded places. He got nailed, but God nailed all of your junk up there. God loves you when you're road raging on the Selman. God loves you when you're praying next to your bed with your spouse. God loves you when you're being extremely patient with your kids, even if they're throwing brownie crumbs all over the house and mashing Play-Doh into your brand new rug. And God loves you when you've gone ballistic and you're going out of your house screaming at the top of your lungs for all your neighbors to hear. Because his love for you is not dependent on you. It is his grace coming at you, writing the seventh page story of your life, which is perfection in Jesus is had by faith in him. So now you would say, if it's that good, why all this stuff about helping the poor? Why all this stuff about being kind and just? Because... If you're clothed in Jesus, you will look like Jesus. If you're filled with Jesus, you will walk like Jesus. But it's not, it's a, a horse in the cart argument. If you want to know if Jesus is in you, if his spirit is in you, just look at what you do. If you are inclined to help the poor, if you are inclined toward justice, then his spirit is likely working in you and dwelling within you. However, if you are not, if you come here and, and you sing the songs, you can even raise your hands, you can even read your Bible every day, you can even go to a small group, you can even be on a leadership team at a church. You can do all these things. But if within you is a stone-carrying, 
judge-glancing person, if within you is the heart that is constantly comparing yourself to others, if within you is the heart that relishes when someone is stuck on the sixth page of their poem stanza, when someone is stuck in bad and you don't even try to pray them toward good and true and pure, if that's you, you might not have the spirit within you. Now, it doesn't mean we're all perfect. Like I've said, I've picked up stones, and I put them down. I pick them up every day. This is why me, I, I'm a tangible person. It, it, it's like this uh, whole thing with Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I still like touching things that I buy. So I have to go to a store if I see something I want, and then I take a picture of it, and I buy it on Amazon in the store and walk out. I'm that guy. I know. Way to throw a stone at me, though, brother. See? See what I just did? I just made someone judgy McJudgerson me. Now, you think that's bad. What's really bad is how impatient I am because we are all impatiently waiting to be perfect. We want the perfect marriage. We want the perfect kids. We want the perfect job. We want the perfect purpose. So we want to flip over so fast in our story. We're so scared to wait. Last week, we talked about waiting, and I've heard amazing stories from the hug thing. If you did the hug thing this week, I'm proud of you as a pastor and a human being. If you weren't here, the hug thing was simple. I talked about how we struggle with waiting as a people. So we were to, we we're to hug people, and I'm going to give you this challenge this week. If, you're, if you didn't hear this last week, this is your challenge for this week. I want you to hug everybody and give them what I call the plus five hug, where you hug someone, and the first time they pull away, you go, uh-uh. And then right when they pull away, you begin the furthest, longest count of five you can do. One, Mississippi, Mississippi, Montana, Louisiana. Two, Mississippi, Mississippi, Montana. And you wait and see, and they'll, they'll pat your back at three. I don't know why. It's always at three. It's three, they pat, and they try to pull away. Some people pull away after the pat, and you say, no. Just whisper in their ear, not today. <laughs> and then they'll rub your back, and then you let them go. And you, they'll never hug you again. <laughs> this is what you do with that crazy aunt that, like, chews on your cheek. You just, I'm going to hug you forever, aunt. You, what you don't know is your aunt's like, I got you. My pastor did a plus 10 cheek nibble. <laughs> That's Thanksgiving. You're welcome. But we, we struggle with this waiting. We want completion. We want perfection. We want the story to end. We want our life to be good, our marriage to be good. But we, we still struggle with it because we're like, wait, it's only six. Where's seven? Where's seven? Seven is, is us looking to Jesus and something other than ourself to give us what we need to be complete. Don't look, for, uh, don't look for success over your sin and temptation in yourself. Don't go to the self-help books. Yourself got yourself in the mess that yourself is in. So go to somebody that doesn't have self in their name. Go to Jesus, other, him, God, creator. Going to yourself to clean up yourself for the mess that you made yourself is just like that pig that's in the mud pit. You say, clean yourself. They just roll in the mud. We don't like the waiting because the waiting is long. The waiting takes a long time. The waiting to get what we believe we know in, in knowing Jesus takes a long time. That's why I do the hug thing. Make it awkward. Make people learn to wait. And then when you finally let go of the hug, say, love the wait. Back to my lack of patience story, though. I do this, this Amazon thing. I'm an Amazon junkie. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, best days of the year. And then that one day they do in the summer just to sucker me in, best day of the year. I buy all my Christmas presents on Amazon. I just go in the store to touch them, feel them, and then I buy them. But here's how bad waiting is. Because I'll be like, on Prime, two days, by now. Boom. I'll look at something I really want. 
And if you don't know what Prime is, you know, I'm not judging you. You're just a lesser human than me. I'll be like, that's not on Prime. Prime means free two-day shipping. I'm not getting it. It's not free two-day shipping. It's a three-day shipping. Forget you. Because my patience is that bad. Because I, I want satisfaction now. I want change now. God will keep us oftentimes on day six to prepare us and to shape us for how we ought to be, who we ought to be on a day seven. God will prepare us and write out the story on our page six because he wants us to have faith in him because faith is the ink that writes page seven of your life. It's not your good works that write page seven. It's faith in Jesus that writes page seven. And until we get that, you won't do actual good works. Your works will be tainted with the desire to get approval from others, the desire to be known or recognized. You won't have prayers that seek to launch and lift others up to go. You'll have prayers that are still about you, for you, centered on you. This prayer, a father for a son, we can learn so much for ourselves and how we have to pray for our children, but we can also and must also learn that this type of prayer is pointing us toward the true and better king who will change our lives, the true and better king who is the goodness and righteousness that we cannot be, the true and better king who dwells within us and changes from the inside out, the true and better king who disarms the stones from our hands and disarms the stones from the hands of those around us, the true and better king who says, do none condemn you, nor do I go and sin no more, the true and better king whose reign will last forever, Nothing will thwart the plan of Christ. No gate of hell will prevail against his church, you and I. We must learn to pray this way. So that's what we're going to do right now, a little prayer exercise. I want us to pray, and I want us to do it in a way that changes our hearts. The first thing I want us to pray for is this. And this is not how I normally start my prayers. I want us to pray for the people who we have a stone in our hand to throw. I want you to pray God's blessing for them, that they would live long in the land. I want you to pray that their character would be one that is life-giving, and I want you to pray it with a stone on the ground, not in your hand. I want you to pray it remembering that we are people who, like the woman caught in adultery, deserve judgment, but Jesus took the judgment for us. I want you to pray for that rascal of a person that you would rather do anything besides pray for. And we're going to do it right now for 30 seconds. Are you ready? 30 seconds. Drop the stone. Pray God's blessings for that person. Go. Okay, now I want you to pray if you've got kids, whether young, grown, gone, out of the house, I want you to pray for your children. If you don't have kids, I want you to pray for those people who are, who are your children. Who the, you know what I'm talking about. They're not your children, but they're your children. They're yours. You love them. You pray for them. You give to them. You feed them. Pray for the kids that they would be raised up, that they would 
have the character that shines Jesus? Ten seconds. Now, another thing I want you to do is learn how to pray the Psalms. What is this? The Bible. The Bible is also known as God's word. Okay, just making sure you're listening. Um, the Bible is God's word, so one of the things I have to do is pray God's word back to God, and I'll just cram my kids or my spouses or my name into this. So, for example, I could read Psalm 72, and I could uh, be praying for my son, and maybe in verse 12, and I'll say, God, please help Jackson Deliver and help the needy when they call. Help Jackson to love the poor and him who has no helper. Help Jackson to have pity on the weak and the needy. Help Jackson to save the lives of the needy. Help Jackson to lift people out of oppression and violence. Help Jackson to see people as precious in your sight, Lord. So that's called praying the Psalms. You take a Psalm, you take a person, and you mash them together. That's what I'm doing with all my kids. I want all my kids to grow up with the heart of Mother Teresa and the mouth of Billy Graham. And the looks of my wife, hopefully, except for my daughter, the looks of me, all me. <laughs> pray, pray the Psalms for, for your spouse. And, and we're not going to do this now, but I want us to pray this week because here's my last thing. If we don't learn to pray like David, if we don't learn to put down the stones and pray forward, pray toward Jesus, if we don't learn to pray this way, we will be stuck in the hamster wheel of life. This church, we may grow, shrink in numbers but we're not going to grow spiritually. Our marriage may have some semblance of peace, but unless you're praying, it will not change. I'm giving you, as I often try to do, an excuse to pray with people who you may not pray with because I know that it is difficult to pray with a spouse or a child if you have not done it for a long time. I've got a pro tip. All you do is just grab their hand as awkward as you can and just start talking to God. And if you talk to God in a weird language with these and thous. I'm okay with that as long as your name is King James. Or if you were born in the 1600s in England. I want you to learn to talk to your dad like a dad and a son having a conversation or a daughter and a father having a conversation. I want you to grab your spouse's hand and awkwardly just begin praying. If they don't want to pray for you, don't force them into it. That will make them resent you. Ask yourself, what have I done to make my spouse or my children resent wanting to pray with me? And begin to press into that so you can remedy that. And you don't remedy that by being a Christian bully. You remedy that by laying down your life and serving and loving. You remedy that by doing dishes. You remedy that by taking care of the kids. As you know, and I'm asking you to pray for me, my wife's been super ill with this child. Last night, my older son got ill. I think he ate too much post-Thanksgiving food. So I was up last night early in the morning, I don't know, 1, 2, 2.33. My son was expelling. And I was cleaning. Because I'm not going to make my nauseous pregnant wife go clean those things, right? I would never do that. So I was out cleaning. Those are the things that earn you the points. And it's not a game of who gets more points or who gets others. But it's a game of how much you can love someone that you can love them toward Jesus. I'll tell you what, people will be more inclined to pray with you if you've loved them first, if you've apologized for what you've done, if you've turned 
from your stupidity if you put down your rock. So I want you to pray this week. I want you to pray and start in the center. God in you, God in your families, God in your communities, and begin praying outward. But I want you to pray like David prayed, putting down the stones of judgment, not remembering the sins of the people you're praying for. God doesn't remember them if they're in Jesus, so neither should we. And pray for their forward trajectory. I don't want to see anybody who's given up. It's one of the hardest things for me to look at as a pastor is someone who's given up on prayer. It looks like a couples who just say, my marriage is what it is, it will never change. It looks like a parent, a mother who says, my kid is so far from God, they could never possibly come back. It looks like a person in their 20s who says, if God loved me, I wouldn't have gotten cancer. And the hope and the prayer and the forward trajectory of Jesus has left their eyes. Don't be that person, because I want to see what God can do. I want to see what God can do in you. I want to see what God can do in your marriages. I want to see what God can do in your children. I want to see what God can do in us all when we pray. So family, pray this week. If you've never prayed, hop online and just click on prayer tools on the website. It'll give you some models of how to start praying. It'll give you an idea of what to say, how to do it, where to go. If you think, I couldn't possibly pray, an easy way to pray get rid of everything else around you and just walk 15 minutes away from your house or place of work. Because even if you didn't start praying then, you've got 15 minutes and you got to get back and do something. And then pray. Let's close. Father, you are good. Lord, I, I need to learn to pray more. This church family needs to pray more. The only reason I know that is because we, we get stuck on page six. We get stuck with stones in our hands. Instead of praying for people's future, we pray bombs upon their past. Instead of hoping for people's purpose going forward, we point fingers that condemn their present. So I pray that we would be like David for Solomon, that we would pray for others with a forward look, understanding that while we are imperfect and not yet complete, you are perfect for us. That understanding while we fall short. You stepped up and filled every gap that we could ever need filled. God, turn us on to pray this week. Light a fire under us. In Jesus' name, amen.